Father, we just open our hearts to you. We recognize that you're always present and at work. You are surrounding us this morning. That your love and your kindness is present in this room. Lord, we choose to remember that you have prepared us for this moment and prepared this moment for us. That you have been planning to give us good things this morning since before the foundations of the earth. That you have new mercies with our name written on them that you have brought to pour out on us, to put securely in our laps and so we can open them, Lord. We thank you. Lord, I ask that you would enable us, that you would prepare us, that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us the right frame of mind, that you would teach us to believe, that you would uh, give us the gift of faith that we might fully receive every good gift you have for us this morning. I pray that no human element, no demonic element, no obstacle of any kind would succeed in keeping us from all that you desire to give us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so excited for you guys because, well, I don't know, what's your, what is your, like, when do you guys go on Christmas vacation or whatever? Okay. And then you, but I mean, like, are you gone all of December or whatever? No. No, no I'm excited because I noticed downstairs that First Assembly is going to be observing Advent this year. I'm so excited about that. That's really great. I saw the little pamphlet or whatever that's talking about how uh, the next the next four Sundays is going to be celebrating Advent. That's really, really cool. Um, I have been, uh, our church has been uh, reacquainting ourselves with the ancient Christian practice called Advent for the last three years. This will be our fourth Advent. Uh, the starting on Sunday. Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent, and uh, and uh, Advent is the season of preparation and waiting uh, that prepares our hearts for Christmas, and it is something that the Christian Church has done for about thirteen hundred years, uh, but in the last hundred years or so, um, a lot of especially American. Uh, Christians have kind of left Advent behind. Uh, they did that because, well, it's been unstylish to do anything high church and traditional, okay? Because we're Americans, right? And like tradition is not something that we do. 
although that's just not true at all. We do tradition all the time, but uh, we like to pretend that we made everything up ourselves and that that's okay, which by the way, it's not. Christianity is not something you make up. Christianity is not something that's just between you and God. Christianity is a received faith. You are receiving the faith that is handed to you by the generations that came before you, and you are inheriting a faith that has been in process, in motion, uh, uh, being moved and shaped and lived out and, 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 and struggled through for 2,000 years of people that have been following Jesus. Jesus has not changed. The gospel has not changed. Uh, none of the, the, that stuff has changed, but the way our cultures engage with gospel has and always must change. And sometimes because of that, we end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which is not something we want to do. Um, uh, you know, we, we're like, that all, all of that high church, old church stuff is all dead and weak and, and doesn't help anything. So we kind of threw all that stuff away and started it over. Uh, maybe, maybe we made the mistake there. Um, maybe some of that stuff, maybe the deadness was in the people that were, that were doing it and not in what they were doing. Uh, liturgy is a powerful thing and um, a positive thing. And I would encourage all of you to... Uh, at least become familiar with some of the practices that the church has engaged in for hundreds of years before you. Um, and, uh, and, you know, tap into some of these deep roots that have gone down into Christ and see what's there because there's some great stuff there. Christmas, okay, let's, in the actual Christian calendar, we have a Christian calendar, everyone. In the actual Christian calendar, Christmas is December 25th. It really, we kick it off on, on Christmas Eve, okay, the 24th. Um, that's when Christmas is. Christmas does not start before that. The Christmas season does not start before that. In the Christian calendar, what precedes Christmas is this time of Advent, and in the practice, in the ancient pra practice of Advent, you don't decorate for Christmas until Christmas Eve. You do decorate for Advent, but that's a whole other thing. Advent is a fast. Advent is a time of non-celebration, intentional non-celebration. Because if we celebrate every day, then we have no days of celebration. Does that make sense? Okay. If, if every day is a party, then there's no such thing as a party. Just, that's, and I know Americans are like, every day is a party, woo! No, no, no. That's stupid. You're robbing parties of their specialness and joy when you do that. Okay? There are days. Now, in the Christian calendar, Christmas lasts for 12 days. It's not just one day. It's 12 days. Okay, which is why that old song, the 12 days of Christmas, okay, is that there's a basis to that, okay, there are 12 days of Christmas, and Christmas ends with what's called Epiphany, which is the celebration of John the Baptist, blah, 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 okay, but the, 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 there are 12 days of Christmas, and they start on 
well, the evening before Christmas morning, because in the Jewish world, when the sun goes down, it's the beginning of the next day. So, <coughs> which is where the candlelight service comes from, because as the sun goes down, now that Christmas has begun, and we light candles, because now, after long darkness, light has entered the world. Okay? And Advent is all about remembering all the things that we did that we did not have before Jesus came. All the ways in which the world was helpless and hopeless and empty and broken before the coming of our Savior, Jesus the Messiah. That's what Advent is all about. It's about remembering the journey of the human race, which led up to the coming forth, that time, that perfect time that God had ordained, where the Christ would come, the, the anointed one, the Messiah would come. And the culmination of history is at this time when, when God intersects with the human reality, when God made our problems his problems. And he lived in the midst of humans and he lived as a human and he took all of our sin and brokenness on himself and began the healing and resurrecting process. Come on, you guys should be excited about all this. Come on, this is the gospel I'm preaching to you right now. Okay, God became king again. Okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm glad at least, you know, somebody is marginally excited about this. <laughs> okay. It's the most, oh, stop it. Why do you even care? Uh, five people li listen to these recordings. <laughs> I don't know how many people listen, but still. Doesn't matter. This is our conversation. If anything happened that I thought was inappropriate, I would take it out. And I have done that a couple times. I'm like, okay, you know what? We're not going to record this part. <laughs> or I'll go back later and edit it and remove that piece. Um, so if you are listening, then you need to know that I'm trying to protect these amazing students. Um, <laughs> uh, but that's what Advent is, and that's why Advent is important, especially in our culture today, which really does believe that every day should be a party. And that's just a stupid thing to believe. We are robbing ourselves of true joy when we do not allow ourselves to feel loss and sadness and grief. Okay, and so that's, that's what Advent is for. And that's why I love Advent. And that's why we celebrate it. And usually it's celebrated by, like I said, it's like a, a lack of, of going crazy with the Christmas decorations. Um, a, uh, the color of Advent is purple. Yeah, where Christmas is red and green, the color of Advent is purple. Okay, and usually there is there is a a wreath or candles that are set in a you know in a something, and each Sunday of Advent you light a different candle. There's four Sundays of Advent. I'm trying to remember. Well, I'll look them up real quick. Um, the uh, the four Sundays of Advent. The first one is hope. The second one is preparation. Third one is joy, and the fourth one is love. Yeah. Is that um, when you talk about the candles? I brought up a question. Is that why the candles are purple, or does the candles color not have anything to do with it, or does the color? No, the candles are purple because that's kind of just the color that they decided on, and purple in this case, 
um, is about waiting and it's about, although the joy candle is usually pink. And at our church, we have kids come up and light the candle every, every Sunday. You know, I have a kid come up and light it and, and we all kind of, you know, yay. And then we talk and then that the sermon is really kind of based around these four ideas the, also at our church this year, and this is something that, and I'll answer your question in a second, this is something that, uh, that uh, people have done for years and years, but we've never done it at our house, and we're going to do this for the first time, and, and I bought Advent calendars uh, for the families of our church, so, which is those little calendars that you open like a little door each day, right? Okay, those are Advent calendars. It's a countdown to the coming of Jesus. And this particular calendar has a Bible verse each day, which I think is cool. And uh, so um, I, my kids are already, already, at least my little kids are already excited about, like my daughter today was like, I call the first day, you know. Um, which I knew they would do that because they always do that. I'm gonna sit up front. Anyway, so <laughs> that's Advent. Questions? Yeah. Like, are they... No. Advent first, and then the twelve days of Christmas. So Christmas actually goes until like January sixth, I think. And it's supposed to be twelve days of feasting and celebration. Now I want you to think for just a minute about how it, because, because the American Christmas celebration has done that in reverse. Like all the days leading up to Christmas are feasting and celebration, right? You've got Christmas parties and you've got blah, blah, blah. And you've got, and it's like, I can eat these extra cookies because this is the holidays, right? So, and people make crazy food that they would never make. So what, what the American, what the American so, like thing has done is they've reversed the Christian calendar, which sounds like an American thing to do. Um, and I, I should say Western because it's not just American. It's it's the whole. It's all of Western culture, uh, and and we've done that, and it's it's kind of disgusting, uh, and I don't like it. Um, so so if we were going to do a Christmas party, I would do it after Christmas because that's when the party is, or during actual Christmas, I should say. And since Christmas is a Christian holiday, we get to decide when it is. Okay. And it's not before December 25th. It's on December 25th and for the next 12 days. Woo! Party, right? Okay. But the anticipation of the party is on. Yeah, I mean, really. It shouldn't start until the 24th. You're right. It shouldn't. It shouldn't start until the 24th, and it should go all the way to January 6th, which is Epiphany. That's another Christian holiday. Epiphany. How many of you are Downton Abbey fans? My mom is. Downton Abbey. Anybody? You guys don't know what you're missing. I love Downton Abbey. But anyway, they're a very proper British family, and they were talking about the Christmas tree one day, and she goes, oh, no, it stays up till Epiphany. We do things properly around here. And I was like, yay! Because <laughs> that's what's supposed to happen. Christmas decoration is supposed to go up on the 24th and stay up until Epiphany. Now, at my house, we're still going to buy and put up a Christmas tree on the day after Thanksgiving because that's what Thank we've you. always done. The way it should be. Thank you. No. It's the day before Thanksgiving. It's not the way it should okay. be. Wait, what's, what's the point of that? You can't fix the Thanksgiving 
But Jesus wasn't even born on December 25th anyway, so why does it even matter? So, um, <laughs> and Santa Claus isn't real for all of you that still Whoa! Just gonna... <laughs> now, wait a minute. St. Nicholas was a pretty amazing guy, actually. He was a pretty amazing dude. Okay? Now, he was, like, hardcore, like... He went to the emperor and like stared the emperor down and was like, you're going to give us that money you told us you were going to give us. I mean, he was, he was, and he has like, like there's lots of miracles that are, that supposedly he did and stuff. So he was a pretty great guy. And he was at the council of Nicaea, which is like, you know, where the Bible comes from. So that was kind of cool. I mean, he's a pretty amazing dude. St. Uh, <coughs> Nicholas. Saint Nicholas, not Santa. Explain to me the lore behind the difference of those two. Okay, Saint Nicholas was an actual person. Yes. Why Because that's not his name. He was an actual person. Follower of Jesus, leader of the church in his region, okay? Very much a part of that era of church. Awesome, awesome guy. Fascinating stories about him. We don't know how many of them are true and how many of them are false. Uh, his, he's the patron saint of the sea, of the ocean. Yeah, I don't really know why. That's kind of a... Okay, so... Well, what happened was people... You know, kind of his legend kind of grew and morphed. And, and got connected with ancient pagan ideas about, uh, like, you know, these spirit beings that would, like, uh, give gifts at Christmas. It was just at, at, the, at the winter solstice, which is, anyway, it's, okay, here's the deal. Christmas is, we have taken the Roman pagan holiday of Saturnalia and we've dressed it up in Jesus' clothes, Okay. But the longer we've done that, the more it's gone back to the ancient pagan roots. Okay, then it's not, it's not, uh, it's been moving backwards towards the ancient pagan roots. And Jesus is still connected to it because there's people that love Jesus that are still trying to. But Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. In fact, Jesus was probably born in the spring at some time. But, uh, but, um, and, you know, so, and the figure of Santa is this weird amalgamation of, now, the, 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 the whole thing about gifts and fireplace, okay, uh, there was these three young ladies who did not have a dowry so they could get married. Nicholas came from a rich family. This is before he had given his life to the church, but he wanted to do good. So apparently he threw a bag of gold through the window. And um, for each of the daughters, one, two, three, okay, so the three gifts, and, and then they were able to get married, etc. That's... And so when they told that story in colder climates where you actually had chimneys, that became he threw it down the chimney, which is why he comes down the chimney still to this day, and, and why he gives gifts to children and, and that kind of thing. No. I'm trying to. I'm trying no. To, I'm also trying to figure out the. I'm trying to figure out the line between <laughs> gift giving and this Christmas. Well, it's what the gift giving thing 
has it really has more to do with Saturnalia than it does with Jesus. And we took Saturnalia Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Saturnalia is the is the worship of the Greek of the Roman god Saturn who is Zeus. Yes. Okay. And and no 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 it's not Zeus. Who is it? Saturn is who? I read too much Percy Jackson. I don't remember now. You're right. Jupiter is Zeus. But regardless, it's the worship of the Roman god Saturn. I don't remember which Greek god that corresponds to. Maybe it can't be Apollo. Which and Mars is the god of war. Was Saturn a god of the ocean? No. no that's I don't know who Saturn is. I don't know who Saturn is. The Greek god Cronus? Oh, so Zeus's father. Fascinating. Saturn is Zeus's father. That's kind of an interesting idea. But anyway. Right. That's what happened. Exactly. That's what happened. St. Nicholas from, like, Turkey. That's where he was from. It was, like, that kind of area. Dies. Tim Allen put on the suit and became Santa. That's, that's, that's the official Christian tradition. So when we switched, yeah. the escape clause is the best one. When Jack Frost becomes Santa, Jack Frost is Martin Is Jack Frost. Came after Tim Allen. Yeah. So when you were saying how, when you were saying how Jesus is, was probably born in the spring sometime, where did, where does what Hanukkah believes, where do they fit in there? Because I know Hanukkah is like the whole month of December, and it's more of a they. Because I have friends who celebrate Hanukkah, and they have told me it's more of a. Um, truer date of when Jesus was born like start Jesus like, wasn't born in Hanukkah though. Yeah, I mean uh, well where does Hanukkah fit in with that? Hanukkah is still like around winter time or whatever. It's but uh Hanukkah has nothing to do with Christmas whatsoever. Yeah. Zero. Hanukkah is the celebration of the uh when the Maccabees came and took the temple back over and they they cleansed the temple out and then they were trying to uh, when they went in, they found that there was only enough oil for like one day, and it takes eight days to actually make more oil. And the 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 fire on the altar is not supposed to go out. The light in the on the lampstands is not supposed to go out. So they had lit it already. They only had enough for one day, but it continued burning for eight days, and that's the miracle of Hanukkah. That's why it's eight days long. Oh. Hanukkah is not is not. Uh, it's not a biblical holiday. Yeah. God, God didn't didn't start Hanukkah. Jesus participated in Hanukkah while he was uh, while he was you know because he was a young Jewish man and and uh, and so he participated in Hanukkah, um, but uh, has nothing whatsoever to do with Christmas or Jesus' birth. <laughs> the reason that we think that it was in the spring or summer is because the shepherds were watching their flocks by night, which only happened at certain times of the year. Oh. <clears throat> so that's a little clue. It's a little clue there. <laughs> but we're still, we're still, it's worth celebrating. Jesus' birth is worth celebrating. And, and let's just, we'll just celebrate it on the 25th, you know? 
All right, the whole idea of Christmas, right, is that right in there somewhere is the winter solstice, right? And which means that now dar- the, the darkest night of the year, the longest night of the year is now over. And it's going to start getting brighter. The day is going to begin to grow longer, right? Okay, so that's, that's what Saturnalia was. That's what all of the other solstice celebrations were. That, that it's the beginning of the end of winter. And you, can you see how Jesus being born is perfect to celebrate at that time? Because here now Jesus has been born. It's the beginning of the end of death. Are you with me? That's why they picked that day. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's also why Easter is right around the vernal equinox, too. They're all con- it's all connected. It's all interwoven. The waterbenders are at their strongest. Is it the winter solstice? Waterbenders are. I mean, waterbenders are strongest. I don't know if it's. Is it the winter solstice? I'm pretty sure. But it has to be a full moon. That's when he entered the avatar state, too. When the fire nature sucked him in, he drove out and he became a big fish. All I know is that. All I know is that everything changed when the fire nation attacked. Um, <clears throat> Okay, mind blown. Did I tell you guys this last week? But I just realized. How many of you have seen the movie Hook? Okay. I love that movie. Okay. You remember Rufio? Yeah. Rufio is Zuko's voice actor. Really? Yes. I never got. And then I saw a picture of him, and I went, "It's Rufio." So now every time Zuko comes on the screen, I'm like, Rufio, Rufio. So I'm I'm watching through the, 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 the right now, and and I literally you know there's this one episode, uh, right like Appa gets stolen and then they get Appa back and there's this one episode that has like there's there's one episode that has like four different stories where it's like Zuko on his own and there's a thing with Katara and and Toph and then there's. And there's one where it's like just following Iroh around for a day. Yeah. And at the end, you realize that the whole day has been him preparing to grieve over his son's death. And he, oh my gosh, I, li- I literally cried. I sat there and cried because he's been, he's been choosing to be kind to one, up one, like people all day long, even people that were trying to like rob from him. And then at the end of the day, he says, he says, how I wish I could have helped you to his son. And he's like crying and he's singing this song, Little Soldier Boy. And I, and I just, I lost it. I was crying. I was like, this stupid show. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Ozai was Mark Hamill. Yeah. I remember seeing it in the credits and going, what? Yeah. Do you watch the regular show? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you know that uh, 
the 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 white gorilla is also Mark Skips. Hamill, right? Skips. Skips is voiced by Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker. Really? Yeah. Go check it out. No that makes sense. He sounds like Joker a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch it. I'm serious. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to the Bible, shall we? The Bible according to movies. Why do they say I'll see you at the movie series? All right. So. What? Oh, I love, I love, I love Muscle Man. I love that show so much. It's terrible, but I adore it. Uh, really do. I love, I love that show. Uh, all right. So maybe we should pray again. <laughs> Oh, all right. Blessed are the meek. Okay, meek. What does it mean to be meek? Humble, right? <laughs> Humble mm, is is in the same neighborhood. They're connected, but there. This word, the Greek word translated meek. This is the only place it's translated meek. Okay, almost every other place. And I think it is every other place that it is in the New Testament. And there's also the word. And I'll give you a hint. This same word is used in Galatians chapter 5. Okay, what's in Galatians 5? Correct. Okay, so which one of the fruit of the Spirit corresponds to meekness? Gentleness. Gentleness. Exactly. Gentleness. To be meek is to be gentle. To be meek is to be gentle. And the picture here, we love, and I saw years ago, I saw a Nike TV, Nike t-shirt, okay? The front of it said, the meek shall inherit the earth. And I went, really? And then the guy walks past and I looked and the back says, yeah, right, Nike. And I was like, whoo, that's a level of blasphemy I would not be willing to engage in. Okay. <laughs> okay, but the, it's because in our culture, we are we we think of gentleness as weakness. We worship aggression. We worship aggressive behavior. We worship people who are big and loud and strong, right? That's what we do. We like aggressiveness, which is the opposite of gentleness and meekness. And we treat gentleness and meekness as weakness. We, we walk all over it, we hate it, and we despise gentleness and meekness in this culture. We just do. That's who we are. Do you disagree with me? Now, yeah, of course, we kind of like, oh, yeah, meekness is good. But when like, the rubber meets the road, we're like, I don't have time for gentleness. I don't have time for meekness. We don't believe that gentleness and meekness wins in the end. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. <clears throat> now, that is not what we believe. We believe that victory comes through strength, through power. Right? And we are not afraid to demonstrate our power. In fact, one of our favorite things to do as a nation is to move in and to do what's called shock and awe. Okay? As, as the gov- uh, our, our military loves to just 
We're just going to bomb the crap out of them. And then we're going to say, what are you going to do now? Okay, that was just flexing my pinky. Wait till you see what's next. Right? We come in with crazy intimidation. We come in with insane, insane power. We flatten everybody. And then we're like, So we do. And that's not just what we do. That's what we do on the sports field. That's what we do in the business world. That's what we do on the battlefield. That's what we do in a lot of our personal relationships. Okay. Now, this is one thing that I have been really praying about and really um, asking for some grace on because I like to engage in, you know, kind of burn culture, right? Where somebody says something and I wittily turn it around so that it, you look like the idiot. Okay? Are you with me? Burn culture. All right? That's what I'm talking about. And because I enjoy doing that, my children enjoy doing that. And so they do that to each other constantly. This constant kind of like, I'm one up on you kind of thing going on in my home all the time. And I recognize that it comes from me and it breaks my heart that it comes from me, but it does. And my wife, I'm not the only person to blame here, but because we do that to each other often. And we do that to the kids sometimes, although we are not as ruthless as they are with each other. It's whew. And then they're ruthless with me and I'm like, whoa. Especially my son Ian loves to just say the worst thing at the best time. He's good at it. He really is good at it. He's good to just go, yeah, well, then why did you do this? And we're all like, jeez, wow. <laughs> and he doesn't understand when he should have, when that's like being playful and when that's just being hurtful. He doesn't understand the difference. He's 11 and he does not get it. Now he knows it. He knows it when <laughs> he knows it when it's directed towards him, of course. But whenever it's directed outward, he does not recognize that he has done something that's not that's not acceptable. Okay, and uh, <laughs> it's the opposite of meekness. And so my my goal my has been to reverse that. In, in our home, to stop doing that so much myself and to kind of invite people into empathy about the way they just made each other feel. Hey, uh, when you just said that, I mean, how do you feel? How do you think he feels about what you just said? Or when somebody gets burned to say, you know the way you feel now? It's how they felt when you said this yesterday. Okay. So I need you to think about that and not say things you could say. And that's the essence of meekness, okay? The essence of meekness is not weakness, it's power under control, okay? Meekness or gentleness is all about power that you have that you are not using. And if you think about God, who has all power, 
who could at any moment completely annihilate all of the universe with just one thought. This is a huge part of God's personality. You know, we a lot of times say, you know, you better be glad that I'm not in charge of lightning bolts because I would have fried you right there, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, have you heard pastors say that? You better be glad that God's the one that's going to forgive you because I wouldn't have, right? Um, <laughs> I would have, right? My, I've heard my dad say in sermons, like, I want to be in charge of firebolts when I get to heaven. And, and you know, and I'm like, uh, I kind of hope you're not. Um, but uh, but uh, meekness is power. It's, there is power there. And it takes more strength not to act than it does to act. Think about that for a minute. When you are powerful (coughs) and you are under attack, the easy thing is to flex and destroy the person. That's easy. That's not hard. The hard thing, the difficult thing, is to make a different choice and to hold your power in reserve. That's the difficult thing. That's the hard part. Okay. Right now, well, this is almost always true, so I'm always <laughs> I'm almost always in a conversation with married with a married couple or two about their marriage, about their connection to each other. Part of being a pastor, when couples are in trouble, hopefully they get some help, and sometimes that means they're going to come to me, which is fine. Um, Half of my job in that setting is to remind them to be meek. Half of my job in that setting is to remind them that because you're married to each other, you're also very vulnerable to each other. Because you love one another and because you've built a life together, the thing, if that stranger over there said something to you, it probably would just bounce right off. But when your wife or your husband says it to you, it has extra power. And meekness is all about knowing when and how to speak. Meekness is all about knowing when and how to utilize power And power comes in lots of different forms. Relational power, physical power, emotional power, giftings, abilities. I am a verbal person. I'm a communicator. That's my job. Okay? And because of that, I have a certain level of skill with words. And that means that when I'm pitted against people that don't have that level of practice with words, I can probably win in an argument against them. It's just something I'm good at, okay? Does that mean I should do it every time? No. I need to remember that I have a certain set of skills in order to quote Liam Neeson, I have a certain set of skills, okay? And I, and I, need, I need to be careful about how I'm utilizing that ability. I need to be careful about the things that I say and the things that I don't say. Are you with me? 
And that's meekness. One of the best pictures I've ever heard of this was a guy who, uh, he's got a big dog, and then they get a puppy, okay? And, and, and when they get the puppy, right, the puppy is being a puppy, and the puppy is like attacking the dog, like it's got his ears between his teeth, like, you know, and, and, and that kind of thing. And the big dog, the big dog could just like, you know, and end that puppy, right? That's, that's all it would have to happen, just one quick bite, break its neck, over, right? That's all, and this is like a big dog, like a strong dog that like is a little scary. And, and what they kept saying to the bigger dog was, gentle, be gentle, gentle. Now, did they have to tell the puppy to be gentle? No, you don't have to tell a puppy to be gentle. The puppy cannot hurt the big dog. It's not going to happen, right? It's not. The puppy can use all of its force, all of its power against the large dog, and it's not going to hurt him. Okay? But the, the big dog has got to be gentle. The big dog needs to practice meekness. Why? Be, because he's powerful. Because he could harm the little one. And Jesus is saying the life of God the joyful life, it comes to a person who understands what it means to be meek, who understands what it means that you have power, so you should watch where you use it. Be careful where you use it. And those are the people who are going to inherit the earth. Not the person that walks around just intimidating, putting down everybody they see, just flattening every opponent. That person is going to create enemies. Are you with me? And this is something we have discovered. In the Middle East right now, we have a whole lot of enemies. Why? Because we did not practice meekness when we went in there. We practiced might makes right, and we walked in there and said, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, and just knocked everybody down. And what we did when we did that is we stirred up all of the Middle East, except for Israel. Praise God for Israel. Um, but except for it. And it's actually not even really true. We're just friends with one part of the people that live in Israel. We're not actually friends with most of the people in Israel. That's a whole other thing. It's a whole other conversation. Benjamin not, Netanyahu likes us. And all the people that like Benjamin Netanyahu like us a lot. But those people that don't think of us as enemies. Why? Because we don't we are crap at meekness. And we're not going to be able to keep doing that for long. This is the story of every uh, tyrant in the history of humankind. A country that just is terrible to its people eventually is going to be overthrown. That's what happens. People will only take it for so long and then they're going to rise up and they're going to overthrow this tyrant and they're going to uh, probably put a new tyrant on the, on the throne because they didn't learn either. Because meekness is not how the human brain works. Meekness is only possible for the long term under the influence of the Holy Spirit and only when we truly love each other. Are you with me right now? <coughs> We've got to learn. We've got to learn. Jesus is quoting Psalm 37, verse 11. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. 
Uh, Moses was called meek in Numbers 12. Jesus referred to himself as meek in Matthew 11, 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Meekness. Meekness. Any questions, comments? Now, I want to ask you, where can we find the ability to be meek? Because it is not easy. It's not. Now, some of you are going, I don't think it's that hard. You're wrong. Meekness is very difficult. It's one of the most difficult things that we can ever learn to do. Meekness is really, really hard. The only reason that you think it's easy right now is because you don't have power over very many people. The minute that you gain any kind of leadership or authority or power, meekness becomes extremely difficult because people are people. And people are stupid. Not everybody, but I shouldn't say stupid. I should say thoughtless. And they say and do things that they shouldn't say or do. And there is a great temptation to just destroy people. I'm going to be honest with you. I would, there, there is a great temptation. Uh, as a pastor, when I see somebody doing something completely stupid, there is a great temptation to muster all of my pastoral strength and power. <laughs> okay? And it's not that hard because when, they, when somebody entrusts you as their spiritual leader, they are giving you the ability to make them feel guilty. Right? Are they not? They're giving you the, they're giving, they are becoming vulnerable to you in this way. Okay? So when, so I could, and this is disgusting and ugly and gross, but there's still something in me that every once in a while is just like, please, 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 I'm a man of God. <laughs> that you would speak thus against the holy servant of the Most High, risen Savior. Are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm being drum. I'm being dramatic, quite obviously. But do you know how many pastors wield that sword like it's just, woo! I'm just going to make everybody feel like crap. I'm just going to just beat everybody down. Because that way, then they're gonna, their behavior is going to change. And you know what? You're probably right. The minute that you aren't present, their behavior goes right back the other way because you have not engaged with them in any kind of spiritual formation. You've just made them afraid of you and afraid of God. And it hasn't accomplished anything except eventually they're going to hate you. Eventually they're going to resent and despise you. Eventually they're going to do the opposite of what you tell them to do just because you're the one that told them to do it, even if it's a good idea. Are you with me? This is true as parents as well. When we power up, and God, this is, this is my greatest struggle as a, as a man, as a parent, 
when we power up our kids and intimidate We're not teaching anybody anything except to be afraid. When what parents should teach their kids more than anything is to have courage. To do the right thing even when it's difficult. Meekness is absolutely necessary when you have any form of leadership at all. any power. And let me say this to you. Our nation is in the midst of learning this right now on a level I've never seen in my life. The last year or two, I don't remember when this all got started, but the Me Too movement and a lot of these issues, this is all about meekness. It's all about meekness. It's all about under recognizing power and not usurping it. Recognizing that you have power, authority, ability, something that can make people do something when they don't want to. And when you operate that way, it's ugly. And eventually people are not going to put up with it anymore. You all with me right now? We have to learn to be like Jesus. We have to learn to operate in meekness. Can you imagine what it must be like for the God who created everything, walking around in human flesh, to have the people that say that they represent you on the planet completely reject you when you're walking around? Can you imagine how angry that must have made Jesus? He's human. I have no doubt that it angered him. But look at the things that Jesus gets angry about. It's not that. Jesus doesn't get angry when he gets disrespected. Ever. Go and look. Jesus is never upset at himself being disrespected. And is there anything that makes us angrier than that? The cry of arrogance is the how dare you cry. Okay, it's, the, it's that place of, I deserve better than this. That is the opposite of meekness. <coughs> Jesus could at any moment, have pulled a firebender thing and shot lightning out of his fingers. He could, at any moment, as they were about to nail that nail into his hands, he could have said, he could have been like, enough! And like, you know, and just like, walked around just frying people, you know? Just, he could have done that. He could have taken on the full authority of his godness. Because he was God. Is God. 
He could have taken that on, filled himself up with all of his might and power, and just squashed every single human that ever said anything or did anything against him. He could have done it. He could have, what did Jesus come to do? He came to seek and save those that were lost. And Jesus could have said, in order to show you that my way is right, I'm going to be bigger than everybody and I'm going to squash everybody and I'm just going to roll over all of you idiots that don't know. Jesus the steamroller. Jesus the great. And don't you think that's what Satan was offering him? When he said, I can give you all the nations of the earth. Oh, Jesus, just worship me. Was, that was just a call for Jesus to become the greatest military leader in the, in the history of the planet. And he could have done it. He could have just, the army just w- rolls up to a scene and Jesus is like, enough. And they just become goo on the, on the ground. And Jesus is, yeah, I mean, come on. That was in Jesus. He could have done it. But is that what Jesus did? No. What did Jesus do? What did he do? He was the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Did Jesus kill? No. No. What did he do? He loved. He died. Yeah, he loved. But instead of killing, Jesus died. Jesus is the one who is so interested in loving his enemies, he would rather be killed than to kill them. Now I have a question for you. Here's my my moment of of controversy for the day. Do you think that the blessed are the meek Jesus, the one who would rather die than kill his enemies, do you think that he is going to completely change to a 180 degree turn and when he returns, flatten all of his enemies? Do you think that's what's going to happen? Because that's what most of us believe. That Jesus is going to show up. It's like, he's back and this time he's ticked off, right? It's like, this this is what we believe that Jesus is going to do. Does that make any sense? Does a Jesus that preaches meekness going to come back and just melt everybody? Does that make any sense at all? No, it doesn't. So what do we do with the book of Revelation? I have no idea. But I can't read it like that. I can't read it as a Jesus coming back and saying, that's it this time. This time the gloves are off. I can't, I can't, I can't read it that way. No, I want to talk to you about it. Here's why. 
Here's why. Hold up. The end of that movie made me really, really mad. The end of Endgame. And here's why. Because. 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 Just wait. Okay, you've not seen it? It's all right. Cover your ears. I'm, I'm, I'm only gonna. The only, there's only one. I won't give big. Like I don't know. There's the, the only spoiler I'm gonna give is this. In order to win, Iron Man had to become Thanos. How is what he did the exact same thing that Thanos did? The exact same thing, but in his hands it's okay, and when Thanos does it, it's not. Think about it. But that's what Thanos thought he was doing too. Good morals, bad ethics. Uh, no, good ethics. Wait, good morals, bad ethics. And what did Thanos say right before? He looked at the Avengers in the eye and he said, I am inevitable. And he was right. Because in order to win the day, what did Tony Stark do? He became Thanos. He did. So the only difference, the snap isn't what's evil, it's who gets snapped. Think about it. Yeah. Think about it. And the fact that the people who wrote that movie had no, bet, no more imagination than that really, really makes me mad. Because he didn't really change anything. Did he? He didn't really change anything. Come on, think about it for just a minute. He just, he stepped right into Thanos' boots. That's what he did. He became Thanos himself. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't why does it matter who gets, you know, crumbled away into black dust? Why does it matter? Why it doesn't matter? Because it's the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. Jesus came and did the opposite thing. Jesus came and instead of killing, he died. And in doing so, Jesus really defeated the powers of darkness. And it doesn't matter because Jesus died and didn't ask anybody to die with him. He just died. He died for us. And he died for us. No, I mean, you're missing the point. If you, sure, yeah, okay. It was a sacrifice. But he still did the same thing. He's just perpetuating the same thought process. That's all he's doing. He's saying, and when the next big bad guy steps up, again, we're going to be more powerful than him. What? 
No. When you bank on power to win the day, you will lose. Now, I'm going to read Philippians 2. Okay. Because this is the Bible verse more than any other that shows us what Jesus was up to. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Even though I'm liking it less and less. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going to start yet. We'll start with verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here we go. This is the most important set of verses here, starting with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The word there means held on to. But emptied himself. By taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I'll bet that you've heard those last words. Like we used to sing it as an anthem, like, every knee shall bow. Like, like we're going, we're going, Satan, you're going down. Jesus is bigger and badder than you. That's so out of context. Because the context of that statement that every knee shall bow is that Jesus was such a servant, the servant of all, therefore he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And because he served all, he will be worshipped by all. And the reason every knee shall bow is not because Jesus has a sword over their head saying bow or bow. It's because everyone is going to recognize just like the whole crowd did when the hobbits were standing up there and Aragorn bows down to the hobbits and everybody else bows down to the hobbits. Why? Did they win some mighty battle? No, no. They put their own lives on the line to, to get rid of power and not to pick it up. And because of that, they saved the world. Yeah. So this is like a what if question. Yeah. Um, so what if Jesus, because like Jesus was just as human as we are. Yeah. So what if for some reason he like, how we, how we like, you know, 
he didn't necessarily want to die, but he stayed right. through what his father told him. He didn't to. want to die at all. Um, so what if he just chose not to? And do you think like God could have sent someone else, or do you think like what? No. 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 Okay. To borrow from NJ. <coughs> I just like, I don't know. I guess I just wanted to know what you think would happen at that point. What would you think? To borrow from Endgame. But like, like, what do you think would have happened at that point? I, I can't. I can't. The world would have been unmade because God would have ceased to be himself. And the world only exists because God is who he is. If God ever, if God ever stops acting, if God ever stops being God, then all things will cease to exist. So you need to be really glad Jesus is who He is. But yeah, He was a hundred percent human, but also the Son of God. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So His decision kind of wasn't like His own. Like, was His own. Like. No, it was his own. But they all like are together. What do you mean? The Trinity. But Jesus very clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane says, Not my will but yours be done. Mm-hmm. Jesus could have said, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't want to do this. It was in his power to do that. If it hadn't been in his power to do it, then it wouldn't have meant anything. You're trying to delve into the the mystery of the Trinity, and that is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> Two thousand years of Christian. Like I understand it, but I don't. And you're not going to. I mean, two thousand years of Christian thought. All of the best minds of Christian thought for two thousand years have been thrown up against this Trinity issue. We don't. We're not even close. But it's fun to think about, and I encourage you to continue to think about it. And engage with God on this because you may get some revelation of the character and the nature of God that you've never had before. But to think about a fully human Jesus making a fully human choice. If he wasn't fully human and the choice wasn't his own, we are robbing the power of the cross. Yeah? So then him being fully human What do you mean? I don't know. He felt quite a bit of pressure. I mean, he was sweating blood. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. But I was wondering because if he's human, I mean, not if, but he was human. And so humans deal with thinking a lot in our thoughts. And I don't know. I guess if I was thinking if I was in his position, I'd feel pretty pressured to be perfect. Then again, I'm imperfect. I have no doubt that he felt pressure to be perfect. But it was always a free choice. Every moment. But see, to take uh, this idea that we can take consequences of our actions and just kind of be like to people, oh, but there aren't any consequences to your actions, so don't feel bad if you make a different choice. That's not true. I mean, all of our choices have consequences, period. 
Now, when somebody's willing to say, I will absorb the consequences of your choice. But there are still consequences. And the, con the consequences of Jesus' choice were really good ones. But it was a choice. A fully human choice. And it was a choice that was made to honor meekness. To be meek. And Jesus will inherit the earth. with me I'm going to move on to the next one if you're ready I don't know that we have a lot of time but ready ready I'm on with this 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 reality is so deep and so big father teach us to be meek okay uh reality number 4 the the fourth mm. one Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Phil. <laughs> All right. This word, righteousness, in my opinion, is not a very good translation of the Greek. Uh, because... The word righteousness in English really only has an inward connotation, okay? Or at least in our day and age. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you don't internally interpret it this way, but I do. I internally interpret this as I'm hungering and thirsting that I would be a better person. You with me on that? Anybody? Are you, do you, would you interpret it that way? Yeah. Yeah, I used to interpret it. I remember, like, first got saved. It was, okay, so I used to read an old King James. Yeah. Like, bare bones. Sure. King James. Yeah. And so it said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so I took that in the context of, okay, well, if I do righteousness, and my idea of righteousness back then was prayer and word. <coughs> sure. If I read my Bible and prayed first before the things that I was hungry and thirsty for, but this and then the things that I'm hungry and thirsty for, then I'd be filled afterwards. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, terrible interpretation. It's awful. If righteousness is more important then, or you mean chronologically before? Chronologically before. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, okay. real talk. Like, no, right, no. I, I totally get that. Xbox. So I, should, so I should read my Bible and pray before I... Right. And I, and I can kind of see that because it's probably, it's probably, uh, you're probably doing the, uh, the, oh, what's the verse? My brain isn't working very well. The seek ye first, the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So, so, so you're kind of putting those two things together and saying, so if I seek these things first, then, then I can pursue these other things. And that's not really a bad thing to think yeah. sure go for that but that's not what this verse means okay that's not what's being said here okay so um the word the better word here is justice okay that's the better word 
Better than righteousness. <coughs> Better word here is justice. So the way I like to think of it is, inwardly, yes, I'm longing to be more like Jesus. I'm hungering and thirsting to be formed into his image. And so that's, th- that's definitely here. But it goes beyond me. My hunger and thirst for this is also, it moves out from me, and I hunger and thirst for justice in the world around me, for wrong things to be made right, both inwardly and outwardly. So this, are you guys together on you, are with me here? Yeah. So then, what, I'm kind of processing that wrong, but whenever, so if you're putting the meekness together with the seeking justice, yeah. how do you do that properly? Because sure. meekness is, you know, you're controlling that certain power yeah. and not using it the way that you could, but you're seeking justice. Doesn't that mean you would use the power, I guess, properly in a sense? Um, yeah, but the way I would think of it is this, okay? My, my power isn't for me, it's for everyone else. So it's Philippians 2 again. It's Jesus saying, I have all this power and authority. He was rightfully God. He's God himself. But I'm not using this to prop up my godness. I'm using my, my position, my power, and my authority, and I'm leveraging it for, ev- for you, for everyone else. Okay, And this is one of the biggest uh, conversations that's going on right now in our zeitgeist, in our universe. Zeitgeist means the spirit of the age. Uh, one, one of the things, the biggest conversations that's happening out there, and Christians are muddling their way into it, and I want to punch them in the face because they're idiots. I'm sorry. Uh, is the conversation around privilege. <laughs> Okay, I heard that. <laughs> well, where, where did that come from? I think just because I know that privilege has been a huge thing in our country as of recently, with white privilege, male privilege, yeah. privilege is a lot of things. Yeah, so. and it's a tough conversation. And, and it's very sad, and sometimes it's really hard for me to process Well, that's the thing. The biggest... What, what hurts me about this issue is how blind privileged people are to their own privilege. And you begin to speak to them about their privilege and they immediately get offended. I don't have any privilege. I earned everything that I have. Blah, 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 blah. That's what you're going to hear every time. Every time. Nobody gave me nothing. That's just not true. That's just plain not true. Okay, I'm sorry. White men are given more than almost anybody else on the planet right now. That's the truth. I wish it wasn't the truth. I wish things were more fair, but that is the way things are. Okay? Now, it's not the way things are going to stay because 
the the white population is not going to be in the majority for much longer. Okay? And women are finding their power, which I love. Keep it up. Really, truly, though. Healthy, Christ-centered feminism. All right? Healthy, loving feminism. I am totally on board for. And anybody else that loves women should be on board for it too. Because what we should be in the place of Jesus. So here's what Philippians 2 teaches me about privilege. One, privilege in and of itself is not evil. Can I say this again? I need you to focus because this is important, especially for y'all, because it's your generation that's having this conversation more than mine, even though my generation needs to have it more than yours. Okay? It's the truth. Right? My generation are the ones that are responding to the threat to our privilege by becoming shrill, by becoming hateful, by, lose, by losing any sense of meekness whatsoever, by powering up and being like, I'm not like that, you can't take away my power, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just going, guys, oh my gosh, could you be... Anyway. I will say this to you. Like him or don't like him, the reason that Donald J. Trump is the president of the United States right now is because a certain group of people in this country <coughs> felt like their power is threatened, so they put a bully in the White House. I pray for him every day, Lord Jesus. We do pray for President Trump right now. Give him wisdom. Give him understanding. Teach him your way. Protect him from those who would attack him only to move themselves forward, I ask in Jesus' name. Now, the reason, go ask, go ask people that are, that are Trump supporters why they voted for Trump, and they'll almost universally tell you, I put him there because I, I knew that he wouldn't put up with what's going on in Washington, that he was going to clean house, quote unquote, that he was going to drain the swamp, quote unquote, that he was going to stand up for them. And they like that he's loud and proud and not afraid to throw his weight around because he's doing it in their minds on behalf of them. So they stand right behind him and say, that's right, keep talking. Because if you had a big brother that was beating up the bullies that have been trying to beat up on you, you would be standing behind your big brother going, that's right, do it. Beat them up, right? Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah. That is why people that support our President Trump as the President of the United States love him so much. Come on. It's because they, they see him fighting for them. Now, is he really fighting for them? That's a good question. Or is he just fighting for himself? That's a good question. I'm not going to propose to answer that in, the, in here right now, but it's a good question, okay? <laughs> that is what they see, that is what they believe, and that is why they support him. And the reason that they support him so strongly is because they can feel their power base eroding underneath them. And they feel like they need a champion right now. And this is the one that they've chosen. He fights dirty. 
but he's fighting for me, so I don't care. Does that help you to understand, Trump supporters? Some of you are probably like, that's me, that's right. Mm -hmm. I don't think anything that I just said would, that I don't, my dad's a big Trump supporter, I don't think he would disagree with anything that I just said about why they voted for him. <coughs> I just don't think they would. I don't think he would. Anyway, <coughs> yes. Okay, if they were really voting for the lesser of two evils, they would not still be supporting him now. I have no idea. I have no idea. All those people that loved him in 2016 still love him. Amen. If everybody else can't, if, if the Democrats can't find somebody that can get a whole bunch of people that don't normally vote to vote, then they're going to lose. Because everybody that voted for Trump in 2016 is still going to vote for him. It's just reality. You need to understand that. But anyway, let's back up. Let's back up. Because we're talking about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't even remember how we got here now. What was your question? Remind me. I just want to back up to that place in the conversation. Oh yeah, you were conflating these two. You were saying, you were saying then, if if we're, if I'm meek, how how do I? The answer is to see justice as bigger than just beating up bad guys. Okay. Because that's not really justice. And I know that's what every superhero movie has taught you. That if the bad guy's left bloody and powerless, then justice has been done. That's not true. Okay? That's not true. We've removed this person's ability to take justice from the world. But that's all we've done. And we have put more energy in the might makes right camp. More energy in the Thanos argument. More energy in the... If I'm strong, I can make things better, which is also the Anakin Skywalker uh, argument, okay? For you Star Wars folks, which by the way is also the Voldemort argument, which is by the way also the Sauron argument, okay? It's about I'm drawing power to myself so that I can destroy those that are keeping us from prospering, which is by the way, And we should have a problem with the people that we idolize having the same philosophy about power as the people that we say are the worst people in the history of the world. We should have a problem with it. The only difference, the only difference is that we have lines we won't cross. This is what we like about Batman, right? Like he won't kill people, right? He'll beat the living daylights out of people, but he won't kill him. Therefore, he's righteous. What? No. No. So, in order to be, this is also why Jesus put meekness before justice in the conversation. Because meekness has to be, we have to stay meek while we suffer, while we long for justice. And the way we long for justice is by standing in the place and standing with 
those who are suffering. Okay? Doesn't mean picking up a gun. It means picking up food to take to hungry people, water to take to thirsty people, clothing to take to naked people. This is what we do. And we do it on both sides of the battlefield. Jesus never, never, not even in World War II, I'm going to say it, sided with one side of a war that was going on that didn't happen. You had people calling on Christ on both sides of that battlefield. And guess what? Jesus was with both sides. Twenty years ago, if I had said that, you would have thrown things at me. Because Jesus loves people. Period. And we talk about the evils of fascism. And there were a lot of them. But just because our culture got away with the genocide of the Native Americans doesn't mean that it's different than his genocide of the Jews. Jesus has stuff to say to both sides. We need to recognize that it was our philosophies, our lack of meekness, our, the fact that we were not hungering for true justice. That led us to push an entire group of people off of their land to kill them, to brutalize them, to steal from them, to see them as non-human, to enslave another group of people for over 200 years, to live off of what they did and is now. I mean, we, had, we could have so many discussions. The Christian understanding of privilege is not that privilege Number one, privilege in and of itself is not evil. Privilege is something that you probably have through no choice of your own, for the most part. Okay, But what you do with privilege is what decides. Because Jesus, what Philippians 2 says, is that Jesus was privileged. He was God. You don't get more privileged than God. He is God. Jesus is God, but Jesus made a choice. He didn't despise his own privilege. He used it. He used it to empower all of us who did not have the privilege that he had. And he drew us in to make us priests and kings before God to draw us in to bring us into the fellowship of the Trinity. That's what Jesus did. He leveraged his privilege to privilege you. And that's what we're called to do. All of my fellow white middle class men in this room, your calling is 
to recognize your privilege and to leverage that privilege to lift others out of their unprivileged state. Does that make sense? Recognize that you're more likely, gentlemen, to be given a pastoral position than a lady. And maybe you should use your pastoral position to make space for women to become amazing leaders mm -hmm. and to release their gifts into the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Recognize, gentlemen, that you are more likely to become, to get to be on staff as a staff member in a church that has money, etc., than someone who's a different color than you. So make space. Change cultures. Shift ideas. Don't apologize for your privilege. Apologize for the way that privilege has been abused. Yes, please do. But don't abuse it yourself. Recognize it and leverage it. Not for you, but for those that are around you. You with me on that? Okay. I don't think we've fully explored hungering and thirsting after righteousness, but maybe we can finish it next time. Because it's time for you to be done.